Welcome to the Life on Repeat podcast with me, Laura Valancourt, licensed mental health counselor, geriatric mental health specialist, and dementia coach. I'm so happy that you found us. Hey, everyone. I am very excited to get to talk to our guest today. Her name is Angel Duncan. She is a PhD candidate in psychology of gerontology, and she's a marriage and family therapist and an art therapist working in mental health and dementia forms research. She does teaching, holistic program developments in care treatments, and she's an arts and neurosciences enthusiast, which I love so much when I read that. Thank you so much, Angel, for being here on our podcast today. I'm really excited to pick your brain and and for our listeners to get to learn so much about the work that you do. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. Well, I'm wondering if we could start out the episode. Maybe you could describe a little bit about the work that you do, just, just to kind of give us all an idea of I know you've been involved in so many things, but I would, it really helps establish who you are and the perspective that you're coming from. And so, yeah, give us a little background about your work. Yeah. So I have my hands on a lot of different things. (laughs) (laughs) I co-developed and I run a monthly program for persons living with young onset and early stage Alzheimer's disease at the Yale University Art Gallery. So I have my wonderful team, Jessica Sack and Rachel Thompson from Yale and myself, and we run this program monthly for persons and it's free. So anybody interested in attending is welcome to attend. It's once a month. And I also teach, I'm a professor and I teach at the University of Tampa and I am a consultant in radar application issues and clinical trials. I consult in program development bringing different types of art, art techniques into different care communities. And I do art therapy (laughs) myself in different types of clinical settings. Usually it's at assisted living facilities. I'm down in Florida, so I'm in Southwest Florida. So primarily my work has been in the Tampa, Sarasota area, down from Fort Myers to Naples. So my primary work, though, has been around the Naples, Florida area and up in near Tampa, Sarasota. And then virtually I'm doing all these programs with Yale and the Cognitive Dynamics Foundation. I act as the executive arts director for that foundation. And that is with neurologist Dr. Daniel Potts. We met in 2010 and we co-developed our programs together for his foundation that he developed. And one of them is called Bringing Art to Life. So we teach and expose students that are going into social work, psychology, geriatric nursing, as well as pre-med majors and medical residents. We expose them to the art therapy and the arts and virtual dementia, the VR dementia tour. And they are paired up with a resident living with dementia at a care facility for a whole semester. And they get to work with them and it exposes them on a deeper level of how it it is to actually work with somebody living with dementia. So we do this at universities all over the country. Right now we're doing it with Rush University with Neelam Agarwal. Dr. Agarwal is amazing. She's at Rush. 
and she's very instrumental behind this for what we're doing in Chicago. We're also now working with pre-med students at Loyola University as well in Chicago. And then we're at the University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa, and other types of different types of universities just throughout the country. So in a little nutshell, that's kind of all the different things that I do. This is fantastic. My brain is like bouncing off <laughs> the walls. What, what am I going to ask you first? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I, I want to say how amazing it is, how wonderful it is that you work with Dr. Daniel Potts because he, I don't know him very well. We've, we've talked a couple of times. He was a presenter on our Get in the Lifeboat Facebook or online dementia summit that we did. And he's actually scheduled to be on the podcast in the next month or so. So we'll all get to hear from him as well. And I'm very, yeah, I'm just thrilled and very excited to hear about all the things that you're doing. And I want to thank you personally, as a therapist myself, the importance of tapping into the creative part of the mind when someone is experiencing memory loss or a type of dementia in my experience, and I'm not an art therapist, I've not been trained in art therapy, but just, you know, what little experience I've had in that realm with dementia has been so extremely powerful. So your voice and your work in the world is, I'm just thrilled to see that there is attention being brought to that. And what I'd love to talk about today is just really educating folks about the importance of tapping into the creative realm, whether you are a family member living, you know, and caring for someone with dementia, or you're a professional care provider of some type, or you are a person that is living with dementia. So I guess my first question is, where would you start in in sort of describing the power of the creative potential, the creative mind, art therapy? Give us a a little bit of a kind of baseline to start with there. Yes. Art therapy very much differs from arts and crafts. You know, it is a master and a doctorate level education. It's accredited and we are governed by the American Art Therapy Credentials Board. So you have to look to make sure you're licensed and registered if you're looking for an art therapist, because we're combining, we're combining studio, art studio, but we're also combining counseling psychology techniques. So as an art therapist, you're very, you're instrumental in having that knowledge and resources and tapping into that subconscious thought. And oftentimes people, as soon as they hear I'm an art therapist, they automatically assume I work with children. They go down that route and it's like, well, yeah, I I have worked with children, but I actually work with those living with dementia. And then there's this misperception. It's like, it's amazing how many people, even in my own peers, and especially in the medical community don't understand how psychologically you can work with someone living with dementia because there's a, there's this perception that they do not lack awareness. They start to lose self-awareness and, and not, they, they're not aware of their surroundings and how can you work with them on that level? And that's so opposite of really what the truth is. It's like, these are still people. And just because you have a neurological degenerative process happening you're still that person there. And the art therapy techniques are designed to tap into that subconscious. So when you know, I've been in the field for 19 years, coming from the San Francisco Bay Area and then to the East Coast in New York City, New Connecticut, now down in Florida. 
that person is there. You just got to tap into those resources. And so the art therapy allows you to get into where memory pockets are in the brain. And that's why I'm a, you know, so I love the, you know, the fact that I also work in clinical trials and I work, well, you know, I work in research and you, as a researcher, and I go to these investigator meetings and you see that, you know, as medical providers and researchers, we tend to get so, you know, we tend to want to treat the disease, but we lose focus of the person. So the art therapy, you're getting both, you're treating the person and you're focusing on the person. So memories come back. So when I'm there, that creativity comes back. You know, creativity is essential in brain health. And it's been an exciting time, especially like in AI and neurological aspects, because all the the fancy and progressive technological devices that are coming out, we're understanding the brain better. And we know that when you are creative, you're nurturing your brain. Now, with Alzheimer's or even Lewy body or frontal temporal lobe dementia, you're not curing it, but you are enhancing quality of life and you have much to learn. So I feel like as scientists and researchers, we really should be spending more time creating art together with our, with our patients or our, you know, with the resident, because you're able to find things that you wouldn't normally pick up in a scan or any other type of cognitive testing. So it's essential. Creativity nurtures your brain. It gets your neurons fired up and memories surface. You know, I had an art therapy group today and the students that I worked with, the pre-med and med students that I worked with today, with they were paired up with a resident. And it was amazing to see, you know, Yale, the gallery had some exhibits of artwork that we displayed virtually. And we, all we did was ask, what do you see? What do you think's going on here? The stories that they were able to come up with were, it's like you, you forget that they have dementia they're talking, they're saying, well, this is what I think is going on. You have that abstract thinking and then they're able to paint pictures and the pictures were so meaningful. Like today, this woman painted and when she processed it, she said, well, this is um, my favorite place. And this is me and my husband walking hand in hand today. And this is sunset, wow. you know, this is somebody and it's, and you know, that's later in the disease process. So it's giving the opportunity, but I think working with an art therapist, you're even getting more of that deeper knowledge and you're able to tap into that subconscious thought. Thank you for just right off the bat, giving that clarification of, you know, uh, art therapy is not crafts and hobbies. This is very much about tapping into the subconscious. I appreciate just personally for myself having this discussion because I get a lot of questions about what is the point of providing therapy to someone who has Alzheimer's disease or somebody who is, you know, mid to late stage. And to me, you're speaking my language, even as someone who is not an art therapist, but somebody who absolutely understands and believes in the, the different layers of consciousness that are available to folks and the quality of life that can still be, that people can still have despite their memory impairment. I think that we've been taught, our society and our culture, that therapy is an insight-based practice. And boy, something that you learn <laughs> when you're working with a population that has memory impairment is that connection and growth and cleaning up unfinished business, healing, all of that stuff can occur despite someone's cognitive abilities or, or processing. So this, I love, love 
everything that you're saying. And I think that this is just so important to open the conversation and get that out there into the world. Um, one of the things that you said, I just jotted a little note here, is that creativity is essential for brain health. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Can you elaborate? Yes, yes. I hope anybody that's listening to this and you, the immediate response is, well, I'm not an artist. I can't do art. You're in the right place. It's important that we get creative. And having a creative life doesn't necessarily mean just making art and painting. You know, it's music, it's gardening, it's, you know, what's creative to you in your life, because we know when we're living creatively, we are nurturing brain health. And, you know, and arts is a part of that. Absolutely. There has been too many studies coming out that validate that creativity is essential in brain health. And it's important as we age, you know, the expression, use it or lose it. It's like, so anybody, you know, at any age, not a should, oh, I should do this. It's a need because it's having meaning and purpose in life. So some of the most impressive studies that have came out in recent years was there was one study, I think it was a Templeton Foundation that funded it. They looked at, I believe it was 405 older adults that were, uh, I believe they were Chinese, older adults. And they found that those who were creative had thicker regions in their brain, faster neural connections, and the researchers, just by looking at the brain scans, could tell you who was creative and who was not. Wow. And wow. then right there, and then in Seattle, um, there was a study, longitudinal st and Nancy Adresen, Dr. Adresen, I, I'm a big fan of her. And it was in the, there was a study in Seattle, same thing. It was a, a, a period of time where they were looking at creativity, and it was pretty much almost the same type of outcomes that they found in like the Templeton study. They said they found there was just... There was a faster connections happening, especially in your frontal temporal lobe. That's your executive. That's your executive house. Your 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 functioning, and they were showing faster connections in that part of the brain. So you're activating things, and you're, you're you got your left and your right hemisphere, and everything's working more together. And they're also finding that there was becoming more flexible in thinking. So even older adults who were having to being creative in life, you know, and also engaging in the arts, were more curious about life. They look forward to new challenges as opposed to sit and dwelling about the past. Oh, that's important. I yeah, know that so, I've heard studies about that too, about those folks that can adapt to change better, that can welcome challenges without feeling threatened, have a, a longer life expectancy. And I, I wouldn't be able to quote those studies, but <laughs> just, yeah, this brings up um, another question that I have. How do you measure creativity for these studies that have been occurring? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So this, well, the like all the different studies that I've been looking at, they are tracking it. So they're, they're looking at brain waves. There are different types of pets, pet imaging, pet scans. There was one that was a pretty famous study of a, it was very interesting. It was a, he's now a Buddhist monk who I believe used to be a genetic scientist in France who left years ago and decided to become a monk. And so he's one of the famous studies where he's, he's considered to be the happiest man in the world. And so the picture though shows him sitting there with all these electrodes all over his head and then it lights up and it shows like when he's sitting in his meditation, his meditation stance at baseline you can see there's really not a lot of activity happening in the brain, but as he gets into thinking about, you know, mindfulness and being happy and, and calming the brain down, 
all this activity started happening. So you can literally see the changes from his baseline to when he's getting into his, his mindfulness, you know, meditation stance. And what we're finding is that some of these studies are kind of using those same types of techniques and they're finding the same experiences like with art making or in terms of other like creative thought. So what you're saying is in these studies, what's being found is for someone, because I I think most people probably are familiar or at least have heard that meditation and mindfulness is is good for brain health and it's good overall for your um, well-being And they've been able to measure that. That's what you're talking about. But what I also hear you saying is now they're seeing that folks that are tapping into their creative mind or their creative selves are also having the same results in the brain. They're they're able to see the same areas of the brain light up. Wow. And so what types of, I guess my question, I, I have to admit, I'm one of those people that does not consider myself artistic or or creative in those ways. However, I have really challenged myself over the last few years to embrace the idea of being a creative being in my ideas and my love of knowledge and, and, and learning and things. So this is kind of a big question for you. I don't want to ask, how do you be creative? But what I really want to know is, what does creativity look like? Can you give us kind of a range? Because you're right. I think most people think about being artistically creative. Give us kind of an idea of the different ways that people can be creative or tap into that creative potential. Yeah, cre- creativity is just, it's getting in touch with your, what sings to your soul? What makes you happy? You know, your passions in life. You know, are you still engaged in those things? And if not, why not? You know, or if you always want to try something out, don't let fear get in the way. You know, so in creativity can be, you know, it can, it can just be bring, you know, people tell me all the time, I can't draw. It's just a stick figure. You know what? That's great. Cause guess what? There's, there's studies showing that even doodling is good for your brain, wow. you know, cause it helps you think better and it creates this open-mindedness. So get out a sketch pad or a journal and just doodle. And then those adult coloring books that came out that it was this big fad and everybody was all doing that. And they found that actually was kind of calming, helping to calm the brain down. And, you know, but it's also things that you enjoy in life. You don't want to do things that are, you know, like, you know, it's going to challenge your mind, but you hate it. You don't want to do that. I, you know, everybody kept saying like, well, grapefruit is really good for you. I personally hate grapefruit. I'm not going to eat it just because everybody's telling me it's good for me. I'm going to find an alternative. So find your alternative. You know, if you don't like painting, try collage, take out a magazine. That's another, you know, some, that's could be another safe way is like taking out a magazine, going through it, just cutting out images that appeal to you. What are images that make you happy? Cut them out, put them all together in a collage piece and then study your piece. What would you title it? What does it represent to you? And talk about that or even journal that because you're getting those wheels spinning. It's forcing you not to just make this collage or make your art, but actually sit, sit down and focus on it. What is it about it that that you were attracted to these images and what's coming to your mind. And then you can actually see what your thought processes are. And gardening is another one. I have a friend who's like, I really don't like art. I don't like drawing. I'm not good at it. And and it makes me feel more frustrated and stressed out, but she loves to garden. That's creativity. You know, you're, she's out in her garden and she's got her hands in the earth and she's doing her thing and, you know, and are sewing and knitting, making jewelry you know, whatever it is, creativity is just getting in touch with your passions in, in life. Or even now with our cell phones, take your camera phone out, take pictures of things you think are interesting. 
there's so many free filter apps. You don't have to pay for them, but if you, you know, go on your, your, the app store, if iTunes, whatever you have Android or iPhone, and there's free apps you can download where you can do, you can actually filter your image and create really cool pictures from that. So these are all different things that I would encourage people just to try out and not let fear hold you back. Like I had a woman, she's like, I've always wanted to take ceramics, but I'm too old. You are never too old. You know, go down to your local, like art. we have our Alliance for the Arts here in Fort Myers and they offer classes. That's exactly what that's for. Go sign up for it. Go take it. You know, she ended up enjoying it. She loved it. So it's like getting outside of your comfort zone. I love it. Thank you for those examples, really. I mean, <laughs> as you were talking, I was thinking for myself, like, oh my gosh, yeah, I love to take, for me, I love to take pictures of food. <laughs> so I get all creative with the lighting and this and that. Or, or my daughter just, we're talking about turning our garage into a studio apartment. So we're, we're getting into the, the design piece, you know, where will the walls go or what, what kind of furniture? And so that I really hear what you're saying when you talk about, it almost doesn't matter what it is you're doing. It's more the feeling that it invokes within you. So I think about the feeling that it invokes, but it's combined maybe with the intention too. And a sense of curiosity. And so if you can tap into that magic potion, uh, whatever that looks like for you, I think that's great. So thank yeah. you. for You're getting a dopamine going too. So I, I know music out of all the expressive arts, music is the one thing that really activates the brain. It really can act everything and you're releasing dopamine. So that's why it's such a powerful mode to use for people with living with dementia so when I'm doing art with them, I'm also going to have music playing and I'm going to play music that they like, but what they resonate with. And it's the same with, you know, yourself. So if you're out there doing your thing, if you have some headphones on, you know, play your music, because that's going to, you know, you're releasing those door, those endorphins and dopamines and all that feel good stuff. And as we age, we don't produce as much of those chemicals. Okay. So depression is very common as we age. And that's why when you're having meaning in life. And that motive, it gives you the motivation. And that's the key. I think you just touched on something very important for, for all of us, you know, whether we have uh, memory impairment or not is, will you walk us through that a little bit? So what I heard you say is that as we age, that we're producing less dopamine in our bodies than when we're younger. And so it's even more important to be intentional about getting those levels up. And the best way to get those levels up, one way, I guess I should say, is to tap into the creative side of yourself. Is that what I'm Absolutely. Saying? Yeah. You need, I mean, it is, it's like, and this is what is so difficult. It's like, you know, an elderly patient, I got, when I did some work in a hospital setting in the Bay area, we had a patient in the hospital who was elderly and the nurse comes in and takes a stray and it's like, oh, he didn't even touch his food. Well, it's not that he wasn't hungry and he didn't have the motivation to actually pick it up and do it, but he needed to eat. So it's like, it, and it's that motivation. It's getting those things going in the brain right. and you can do that with music and exercise. Movement is important. It's essential when you're also walking is one of the best things you can do if you're able to walk. Cause you, you have a, it's called osteoclastin. It's in your bones and it gets released when you're moving, when you're getting exercising and it actually helps generate some things that are going on neurally in the brain. So it's important that we have movement, you know, we're, we're creative, we're doing, we're living our life to our best, but that we are getting some movement as well. Gotcha. I'm 
imagining dance. <laughs> the, the, Absolutely. You yes. can tie in movement with the creative creative. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Even like chair yoga or, you know, any wheelchair you know, dancing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Fantastic. This is such good information, Angel. I, I just appreciate this so much. So I'm thinking about our listeners that have a, a loved one either at home or in a facility, someone that's living in a facility. And let's say at home or in the facility, they don't have a very good program or plan on engaging people. I think a lot of us see that many times. I mean, in my experience, there are a lot of facilities that will advertise their wonderful activities program and this and that, but then the reality doesn't always look like what they would maybe what yeah. they hope. Yeah, so, it's folding towels. <laughs> yes, yes, or bingo. <laughs> so can you give our listeners an idea of things that they may be able to either do with their loved ones one-on-one, you know, just engaging themselves, or ideas or tips that can be introduced to facilities or, or more yeah. of a program? Yeah, first of all, I hate it. That's, I mean, you really touched on a nerve for me is that it just, it's so infuriating for me personally, when you have these facilities, especially private pay, and they have no budget, they don't create a budget for their activities. And that is like, your activity director, that life enrichment director is the next important person next to the DON. They are the lifeline to that resident's happiness and you need to be creating meaningful activity and engagement for them. So I I hate that. Um, When I was teaching at University of Tampa this past semester, one of my students volunteered at a dementia facility and he, I was teaching my, my class on dementia and art therapy and he afterwards requested a meeting with me and he's like, I was so excited about this class because I volunteer at this facility and they don't do anything. They're all just sitting in front of this TV. So now he was going to take what I had taught back to the residents and do his own artwork with them. I was so excited. Like, thank you. You know, we need some more intergenerational happenings like this happening. But I would encourage families to, you know, the ways that you can engage in art together, like make art together, whether you're both creating your art piece separately or you have a piece of paper and you're creating art together. And it can be anything, you know, just having somebody, what's your favorite color? What color feels good to you today? And just put color to paper and then see what comes out of it. Or one of the things that's kind of fun to do for, for couples is what's called a scribble drawing. You get a, you get, take a color you like, the other person gets a color they like, and they just do a big scribble on the paper and then they can turn it around and different, you know, turn it all around and see what images you see. What's a picture you see in the scribble and then enhance it. And that can create, that can create a really fun conversation or just painting together. Like in painting, it doesn't matter whatever comes to mind. And I always, I always stress what, as soon as I hear, I'm not an artist, I can't do this. Then I will say, there's no wrong way to do art. Mm-hmm. Have fun. Just fill it up with color, things that feel good to you. So taking some paper, filling it up with colors that feel good. Collage also can be a really good thing to do. Now, whether the person is able to look at the magazine and pick out their images on their own and be able to cut them out and glue them is one thing. Oftentimes, especially in a facility, I have to sit next to the person and I will, I'll have them dictate to me. That's another thing. They're so used to being told what they can't do. I'm going to give them some autonomy. You get to tell me what you want. What, what do I need? What, tell me what you want. And I follow their directive. So we'll go through a magazine together and I'll ask, well, which, tell me what you like. So we're flipping through there and then she's pointing. I like this. 
So I'm going to cut it out for her, but then I'm going to ask her, where do you want me to put this on the paper? And she'll point and then I'll glue it down for her. And then that's how we're creating the collage together. And then after we finish our piece, we look at it as a collective whole. And then I always ask to title it. What would you call this? Now, I will say for your listeners, sometimes people will come up with awful. That's terrible. Oh, it's ugly. You know, and I will reemphasize, counteract that. It's beautiful. I love this. You know, leave it with the positive, but give gives you something to talk about. And oftentimes those living with dementia, it's going to spark a memory. So while they're picking out images they like, or even if they're painting an image, you know, that comes to mind, usually there's a reason for it. And that's why it's important to ask, what does this remind you of? What would you call this? What do you see in this? So that's what I would encourage. I'd encourage to go back and just, you know, make a collage together, paint a picture together, even, you know, looking at a still life, setting up something on the table and and creating that together, doing a a fun self-portrait, you know, but that's People will get so intimidated by that, but then I have the most fun self-portraits that people come up with. And then we talk about what, you know, what do you, what do you love in life? So you're tapping into those long-term memories and resurfacing that. Oh, this is beautiful. Those are amazing examples. I just jotted like <laughs> seven of them down really quick. <laughs> One of the things you said that I love so much, oh, it just touches me is when you said that it, it gives the the resident or the, the person autonomy to choose, a- autonomy to make a choice, to dictate where they want to place something. I mean, I think that one thing that I see, I know you've seen this and probably most people have seen this as well, is that when folks move to a facility setting, often their family members are relieved because everything's going to be done for them. They don't have to worry about anything. But but the back the, the backside of that is that it does. It takes away a sense of purpose and meaning for people, even if their soul, you know, their job was to get up and feed the dog every day or to do the dishes or to do the laundry or to cook mm-hmm. meals. It's giving people a sense of purpose. And when all of those things are done for you or you're not able to do many of those things that you used to be able to do, I think it's so imperative that you find choices and, and options in these other areas. And this is just the, a beautiful example of that, of allowing someone the autonomy to choose. Absolutely. And you, you hit on something that I wanted to emphasize. So, you know, especially with dementia and you start to, you know, you can't do the a lot of, you, you know, you can't do the things you used to do. So like I used to have a lady when I worked in Manhattan on the Upper East Side, she would sit there with her paintbrush and she would go, psst, psst. I'm not an artist. I'm a dancer. And I would say, paint yourself dancing. Mm. And we would have music playing and it was music she loved. And every week she would paint a little tutu of herself. And that's what we got. And she got to paint herself dancing and all these memories came back. Or I had a gentleman who can no longer play tennis and that was his life, but he's painted. He would paint himself playing tennis. And of course he won each time. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah. But yeah, so that's, you know, that is one of the things I teach is whatever your passions and hobbies were, even if you're in the moderate to late stages of the disease and you you may not be able to do those anymore, you can paint it, you can do a collage with it. And what a beautiful way too. Um, I get, I get asked all the time, what, what do I do with my mom or my spouse? You know, you know, I go to visit them and I, I just don't know what to do. And so all of these examples that you shared are ways of 
not only allowing the person to tap into that their their potential, their creativity, but it's this opportunity for connection, like you said, in ways that you may have never experienced before in your in your relationship. I can certainly vouch for that. I mean, I haven't sat down with my spouse or my parents and engaged in a creative process like this. And wow, what what an opportunity that's being missed by not doing that. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, 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 we had a couple and, and that's another thing too, like, you know, when I do my work with, at the Yale University Art Gallery and we were doing it in person or here in, when I was at the Artist Naples and Baker Museum, when husbands and wives are coming in, usually they take on the term caregiver. You know, this is my husband, I'm his caregiver. Well, now it's like, I get to be a wife or I get to be a husband and it's husbands and wife having that shared moment. And it always is through the art. And one gentleman painted his thumb and his wife painted this beautiful garden and he put it next, he, he put his painting next to hers. And he said, he said, this is Tom's thumb next to the green thumb. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and talked about how much his wife meant to him. And he, and he said, without her, I would be nobody. And she makes my life beautiful. And then afterwards she was just sobbing. And she said, I haven't heard him say anything like that about me in over a year. Wow. So, I mean, you are, you get, you know, even with adult children as a mother, you know, I get to have my mom back for a minute or my dad back. So wow. yeah, you're, you're, you're building, not only creating together, you're, you're strengthening those bond relational bonds. Which is just so important. I mean, for me, I'm thinking about the potential also kind of, like I said before that at any age in life, and you touched on this in the very beginning when you when you talked about the woman who was a little nervous to start ceramics because she was quote too old. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, my my sort of philosophy in life is that while we're alive, we're here to learn. We're here to make resolution with, you know, our past. We're here to create and continue to learn. And so this is I, I just feel like this is such an important topic and so many people do not know how they didn't have models. You know, we, we, we haven't always had the best models in aging. We haven't had the best models in healthcare. We haven't had coaches or guides and how to age creatively and, and with curiosity and with connection to others. And so this is fantastic. When I was graduate student and I was doing my internship in a dementia unit, I found this model. I'm sure you know what it is. It's called time slips. Yes, that's Ann Bastings. Okay, yeah. So um, this was years ago. And she's an art therapist. She's amazing. Yeah. That was amazing. I I can't tell you. So do you want to tell our listeners a little about what, what that is, even or or I can, whatever. Go ahead. Yeah. No, and she's yeah, and she was, she was been in this longer than I have. And when I found out her work, I was just so amazed by that. But go, yeah, looking at images, go ahead. Yeah, basically that's, that's what it is, is. And I didn't get certified in it. I just kind of found this model and applied it. And I got to tell you, the stories are amazing. But what it is, is you find an, you find an image anywhere on the internet and in a book and the crazier the image, <laughs> the better. So one image that I chose was a giant red ball, like, like, and it was squished between two buildings. So it was like the size of a building, this giant red ball. And there were all these people standing around staring at it. Well, the whole point of, of this time slips concept, and again, I'm, I'm not certified to be talking about it eloquently, but the idea is that 
that people who have dementia or memory impairment, again, we're all taught to be to communicate and have insight-based conversations, but there's this whole creative part of your brain that is, and you said this as well, um, Angel, is that there's no right or wrong. There's no right or wrong answer. And so I think when people who are diagnosed or, or at the beginning stages of their memory impairment tend to withdraw from the world because they're aware, there's some awareness that they're not able to communicate or keep up or think in a way that is using their intellect. And so this process, and, and this is what you're talking about with all of these examples, is that, that you don't have to use that part of your brain. Like you don't have to be communicating in a certain way. This form of communication, there's no bounds. There's no right or wrong way to do it. And so with time slips, you take an image, like the one I described of this big bouncy ball between buildings, and you have a group of, of folks, at, and they could be at various stages of memory loss, and you sort of facilitate a storytelling process of this image. And so you, as a facilitator, you ask certain questions, like, what do you think's going on here? And who are these people and what are their names and what are they doing? And what is the, you know, and you name, just like you said, you name the, the story, you name the, the photo, but that process talk about, I learned so much by, by using that model. And I learned so much about the residents. I learned so much about connection and creativity, but really, really connecting. Like we would laugh, we would cry. We were all on the same page. It didn't matter if somebody had dementia or not. So anyway, I created this whole binder. We had stories and we would share them with the caregivers, the professional caregivers there, the CNAs. And let me tell you, the ripple effect of that is that the care providers at the facility then felt connected in a different way to these folks as well. And that is of huge importance. So absolutely. Yeah. So fantastic. Tell me her name again. It's her name's Ann Bastings. And she was so I got into the field just kind of by accident. Alzheimer's is not in my family. Dementia is not in my family. I was working with children with um, with learning disabilities and kids on the autism spectrum in Texas, San Antonio and Austin. And I went for, when I got my master's in um, marriage and family and art therapy, I knew nothing about Alzheimer's. It just kind of fell in my lap. And this was very, this was back in the very early 2000s. And then that's when I was introduced to Anne's work. So, I mean, even at that time, she was doing really ground, really groundbreaking work that people had not thought about before because she's really saying they have an imagination mm -hmm. they can talk you know they can they can do this and this is and you just you know she has the images that kind of help spark that yeah. and that came from Jean Cohen the late Jean Cohen who was and she probably may have been even influenced by him so Jean Cohen was like he's like one of the pioneers of like the godfather of geriatric psychiatry and he helped put creativity and art therapy on the map and you know a tragically passed away from prostate cancer about 9 years ago but his wife Dr. Wendy Miller is a really good she's a dear friend of mine I think she's also friends with Anne but Jean really helped set the stage in doing really amazing groundbreaking research showing exactly what Anne was doing and that he he came out and said, we need to give them the opportunity yeah. to create. They're not brain dead. They do have, you know, they are capable of imaginative thought. Mm -hmm. And then on a cultural, like I'm, I'm thinking when Anne, one of her, I think famous articles that I read about was the Marlboro man. That was his image of the guy on the horse. 
And culturally, it, it came out during that time, I think like 60s or 70s, that really brought up a lot of cool things culturally for these residents. So that was like, you know, having that kind of cultural connection and what was happening at that time. So the brain is fascinating to me. Oh. And yeah, but her work definitely was influential on all. I mean, she really was the first to kind of, you know, Jean, Dr. Cohen set the stage and all that. And then from an art therapy perspective, she just kind of ran with that. And it, at the time, it was very groundbreaking. Amazing. Well, it's so neat to see the ripple effect of how her work has influenced and the work Absolutely. in general. I mean, of, of all these folks, I love that you brought. Thank you for uh, sharing their names just to honor the work that they've done, especially during a time where it wasn't the most popular work to be doing, you know, it wasn't right, right. really on the radar for folks that yeah. I know for myself, trying to find any research was so difficult. There's so little out there years ago. And so the work you're doing now and your colleagues is just so appreciated. Thank you. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I want to just check in with you and see if you have any other things that you would love to share or resources that might be helpful for folks to learn a little bit more about art therapy and dementia. And then also, of course, where they can find you. I would just encourage whether or not anyone's living with a, an, you know, kind of a disease process, you know, just, I encourage everyone to just find some creativity in life. You know, what are your passions and your interests and really nurture that, you know, that what is sacred to you and making that time, there's nothing you want to have time. We'll make that time schedule it as if it is a doctor's appointment because you are taking care of your psyche. (laughs) And when you're not taking care of your psyche, you're not taking care of your body. I two go hand in hand. And I would encourage to, you know, get creative with your loved ones, you know, especially those that are living with dementia. And and I think you'll be surprised at the things that come out of that. My work primarily is, you know, it's funny because I, we do the museum group and we use images, but I typically, for myself, I'm putting a piece of watercolor paper in front of the, the resident, the participant, and I'm just asking them to go by their imagination. I don't give them any pictures to look at. I'm like, I want you to paint what comes to your mind. And they usually sit there for a minute and then I will help get them started. Like, well, what color feels good to you? What color do you like? And sometimes I'll have to even put the brush in their hand and guide them to the paper and show what it looks like. And then they start going. And for my work and what I've been doing, I'm finding that that outlet is amazing on what they do come up with. Very profound. And so give just, and I think the key word is opportunity, giving these individuals the opportunity to be creative and don't assume what they can or cannot do. You know, I had one who was in, he, on his own. It was the same thing. I said, paint what comes to your minds. And I always say something that feels good. What feels good to you? He ended up painting two candlesticks and a, and a couple of glasses at a table. And I asked him, what would you like to title this? And he called it date night. And I said, date night, tell me about that. And he said, my wife and I used to go on dates and and he got a little teary eyed and he said, she died several years ago and now I'm here and I love her. I love her. And I said, thank you for sharing this with me. And I said, what made you think of this? And he looked up and he goes, I think about my wife every day. And this was somebody in the advancing stages who never really talked, who never, he just sat there in his wheelchair. And, but this is what, when I gave him that opportunity, paint what comes to mind, what feels good to you. That's what he came up with. And I have thousands of stories of, of like that, where people just, by just using, by tapping into their own imaginations, Mm -hmm. 
or even just, you know, I had a woman who created, it looks like a purple splotch. We would not think anything of it. You see a purple splotch and you're like, okay, but that's where it came in. And I asked her, what do you see in this? And she said, well, I see my son in here and he's good. He visits me. And I like the color purple. Purple's a happy color. I want to be happy. And this is, she was from Maplewood. I'm from Maplewood. That's where I'm from. And all these, she saw what she was telling me I'm, and I'm documenting all of it. And her son was even debating not coming back to visit her because he didn't think that she was even aware he came. Wow. So the activity director was able to share that painting with him and say, she knows that you're coming. This is what she said. Mm-hmm. So of course he's sobbing because he had no idea, but I mean, just giving people the opportunity and don't assume that they can't do this. Don't assume that they don't have an imagination. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you may need a prop where you may, you may need an image to look at and create from, but also see what comes out of them on their own. That is so beautiful. I hear you saying too, that it's not about the product. It's not about the end result. It's about opening the door to like, like we've been emphasizing connection and communication and the process in and of itself. Uh, Yeah. The the processing is huge. And it does. It's like, we don't, as you know, especially in art therapy, you don't care what it looks like. I don't care. You know, like I said, I've had, I have stuff that just looks like a line and splotches, but there's profound meaning behind that. So yeah. And, and it is, but processing is if they're, you know, obviously if they're able to communicate with you, even, but even fragments in language, I had one where it was fragmented and I could only pick up a few words that I could understand. But when I shared it with her husband, he knew exactly what it was Wow! just by the three words that she came up with. He knew what it was. Wow. So, yeah. So processing is key, but being, being that listening, you got to listen, you have to have that ear and it doesn't matter what it looks like. It's like, you know, people get embarrassed about it. Even I find it funny. Even those that are very late are like, I'm like, Oh, let me see your art. And she throws her body over and she's like, it's <laughs> terrible. It's like a five-year-old. And I'm like, let me see. And then I'm like, I love it, you know, but it is, it's, it's re- processing also is getting to the heart of what, what is the meaning behind it? Cause oftentimes there's pretty profound meaning. And I find it interesting for myself because it's like, here are these individuals. They can't write a check. They can't pay their bills. They can barely, they can't dress themselves or feed themselves, but I can sit and have a very meaningful conversation about life. I've gotten the best marital advice ever from them. I've gotten the best life in general. You know, it's like, it's a two-way street. Oh man. Thank you so much. It was beautiful. And I can only imagine, I mean, to just be a little bird on your shoulder as you go through your day, you know with your work, teaching the physicians, being in facilities, working with folks, I can only imagine on a daily basis, the shifts, the profound shifts and connection that you're experiencing. Yeah. That caregiver, it's, I call it a care empathy. You know, there is a shift, there is a shift happening. And I noticed that when, especially CNAs, you know, because I think we all know they're not getting the education they need. And when, you know, in this disease, but I find when they're creating together or they actually hear what the, you know, they can buy and they're like, Oh, that's, they had no idea they could do that. And then when they hear about it, they're like, she did that or he did that, you know, they're, they're shocked. And then I notice that they start becoming more sensitive to them. Mm-hmm. One, you know, they were leaving and the, she's pushing her away. And the late, the resident was like, I love you. And the CNA's like, I love you too. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's it's just, you know, 
Yeah, it is. So we I mean, want our residents to be our family members to be seen as human beings, and exactly, uh, and just, yeah. So nurses, CNAs, our our physicians, you know, people should be exposed to things like this. And I think when you create art together, you're creating bonds. I love that, and that's what we need. I mean, really, that's that's all anyone as uh, a family member would want is to to feel like their loved one is being seen as a human being and being cared for and respected in that way. So thank you so much. Where can folks learn more about your work or find you if they wanted to learn more? Yeah, my email, I'm going to give my my university email. It's a Duncan, A-D-U-N-C-A-N at UT, like University of Tampa, ut.edu. That's my email. And for to reach me, I would recommend going to the Cognitive Dynamics website. So it's cognitivedynamics.org and you can find me and you can find our work on that website with Dr. Potts. Fantastic. I will make sure that I include that in the show notes too, for those of you that don't have a pen handy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, Angel. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today and I know that we will be in touch. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for all that you do. Oh, my pleasure. This feeds my spirit. I'm telling you, it it doesn't feel like work. (laughs) Your creative life. Yes. Yes, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you everyone. And I hope you enjoyed this episode and I can't wait till we get to be together again next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute, nor is it meant to convey professional, legal, psychological, financial, or medical advice. If you can use such services, please seek them out from someone you trust.